On this week's episode of Where We Are, we talk about the latest cattle call event in Iowa. The family leader hosted many of the Republican candidates. What did we learn from the convening? We'll talk about it on Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa just got back from Boston. Boston. Uh, got off the train, and here we are recording an episode for the people. Mm-hmm. Kids went down to bed. Have we been went, up we multiple went, times. We went straight to the mic. <laughs> hey, dear. Mm-hmm. I'll wait until you're finished drinking. Thank you. I just took a drink. Sorry. Our anniversary is this week. I know. It's on Monday. 12 years of marriage for Michael and I. It doesn't actually even seem like that long, but 12, no, 12 years it's flown by. together. We got two two goos to show for it. Yep. Two goo bears. Um, One cat. I'm looking forward to celebrating with you. Yeah. Uh will we're doing uh uh barpenheimer <laughs> yeah we're doing barbenheimer not barpenheimer it sounds like barpenheimer. Oppen, it's uh, it's up in heimer but it's barbie barb barbenheimer sounds better <laughs> barpenheimer i like barpenheimer it sounds like some kind of thing that like the bark box is going to send out to dog owners this coming month uh, barkenheimer they I'm really s- should do that actually i'm so excited for these movies and I can already tell Mm -hmm. that the de-influencers are, they don't like that everyone's excited for these movies. So I've already started to see, uh, like, is it just me or does Barbie look stupid? Like, it's like, let us have this, okay? We haven't been in a movie theater in four years. Just let us have two hours with Greta. And then you could get back on your nonsense, okay? Oh, negative Nancys. Yes, I, I am. I am blocking out all anti-Barbenheimer commentary this week. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. Um, I, like I said, was in Boston. It's the first time in Boston in like three years. Got to see uh, one of my favorite pastors in the country. I won't embarrass him with a shout out uh but i had a great breakfast this morning in boston i got to see a number of friends the panel at tufts was fantastic Mm -hmm. uh peter levine and jenny peace and the folks uh at the uh, center for civics over at tufts just did a wonderful job with this conference I love seeing my buddy Andrew Hanauer, who was on the panel the, the night before. I uh, got to see our friend Simran, yep. uh, who was on my panel. The great Cornell Brooks was on the panel, former head of the NAACP. He was just, I was just in awe sort of listening to him. And Diana Eck, one of the nation's leaders on thinking about pluralism, uh, was was on the panel too. It was it was really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, 
it was a busy few days in Boston. Spent some time up at Harvard, uh, the the art museum at uh, at Harvard at Harvard. Botticelli, Fra Angelica, Filippo Lippi, Lippi. Who is my favorite? Filippo Lippi is my favorite. Uh, believe Van Gogh, like several Monets. My goodness, they are so spoiled. And then you spend time in the North End, aka the Little Italy of Boston, which is, in my view, I haven't been to all of them. I think it's the best in the country. But I mean, you've spent a lot of time in San Francisco's Little Italy, New York's Little Italy, Philadelphia's Little Italy, and Baltimore's Little Italy. St. Louis. And St. Louis's Little Italy. Yeah. No one that's the best. And you like Boston's, yeah. Yeah, I was super impressed. So, yeah. What a week. Things are crazy at the, uh, like, Good Crazy Center for Christianity and Public Life. Got a lot coming down the, is it the? Down the pike? Yeah, it's down the pike. Yeah, yeah down the pike. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's more discernible than over the transom. <laughs> if, anybody, if anybody remembers that one. Over the transom, the weirdest podcast inside joke in the history yeah. of podcasts. <laughs> no, you're jokes. so right. Damn. There's so many people who are lost right now. Anyways. <laughs> We're going to move into some audio files because we had this big gathering in Iowa uh, this past Friday, where six candidates for the GOP attended, but Trump did not. And Tucker Carlson was an interviewee of each of these six candidates. And we pulled a few clips that we found to be very interesting for you. Yeah, I'm going to, we're going to play these clips. We'll offer commentary. At some point, I'm going to say, I can't listen to any more of this. <laughs> and I'm going to share my thoughts on just the event as a whole. What it indicates about the state of all the things. But before that happens, let's listen to some of these some of these excerpts from the uh, the family leader extravaganza. So what, um, we just go back. I, I, no, so, but you I, a great critique. So what, what is the goal, do you think, uh, in Ukraine? When do we know we've achieved it? They will not define it. And, and what do you think it should be? I, I think the goal should be to have a sustainable peace in Europe. Okay. We don't want there to be war breaking out. There've been a lot of people that have been killed, displaced. It's a horrible thing. But you have to provide a, uh, a articulation uh, of where you're going to go to get there. And my fear is right now is they're basically doing an open-ended conflict. This is going to be a multi-year quagmire. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to die. And there's not going to be much facts change on the ground. And, and, and the dispute at this point or the war at this point is not whether Ukraine's government is going to fall. They're fighting over territory on the far eastern part of the country between Russia and Ukraine. Um, and, and that's kind of where, where this is at. So, so the question is, is okay, how do you get that to where uh, we can stop this? And also, from our national interest, this is humiliating for our country that we're running out of ammunition. They're now trying to put mobilized troops, U.S. troops, to go to Europe. When we have a major threat in the Indo-Pacific, the Chinese Communist Party, who they're basically given a free pass to, as president, I would prioritize 
the threats to our national security. The top threat to this country is China. It's China's ambitions, it's China's industrial capacity, it's the CCP's ability to pollute our culture, uh, impact our universities. Incidentally, in Florida, we got rid of the Confucius Institutes that they put in universities. We cracked down on them being able to do research dollars to our universities, and we banned any purchase of land by the CCP in the state of Florida. Well, it's about time someone took the fight to Confucius. <laughs> <laughs> that guy had it coming. <laughs> I, that was the thing that stuck to me about that clip, because as I was gathering clips, I was like, we're going to include the one where he said, you know, we're going to take it to China. I, I, co- I closed the Confucius Institutes. That's well, what I did. It is. I mean, it is. Right, so it's not new for governors running for president to like, you know, make decisions and do things that though that they, you know, trumpet during their campaign for for yeah, president. It's part of the power of holding the political power of having the office. He does take it to a whole other level. Uh, like he doesn't have any like foreign policy background so like how does he show he's taking the fight to china he ends like confucius institutes at florida institutions of higher ed at like uh, it's it's uh yeah and you can really tell that his uh, compared to sort of what the gop i mean the gop is pretty split is fairly split on ukraine and um, you know, when Tarko Carlson spoke to Mike Pence in a different conversation at this event, like it got quite heated over Ukraine because and we'll play that because Carlson represents like the side that says that we shouldn't be funding Ukraine at all, and Pence really represents the side that uh, if we if we sort of back out of Ukraine and then Russia takes over, then they'll 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 have there's going to be a bigger chance that they're going to try to invade a NATO country and then our American troops will be pulled in and. DeSantis's response, uh, you know, while I, I while I'm very pleased to hear that he cares about European sovereignty and security, it's just really interesting that that's what he cites, and that's because like his foreign policy experience, you can tell when he's lacking because he'll say things like that. Where when it comes to Americans, if they think about foreign policy at all, that kind of means nothing to anybody. <laughs> Whereas NATO means more of something of like that. And then Pence in his answer also relates it over to China of China's watching us if we let Russia overtake. Ukraine and then eventually another country or other territories, China sees the same thing with Taiwan. Yeah, maybe maybe let's uh, let's play Pence's yeah, let's uh, do it. Pence's answer on that. Transfer some jets. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President. Have you? I know you're running for president. You are distressed. You, you are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around, there's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, and it's visible. Our economy has degraded, the suicide rate has jumped, public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased, and yet your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of US tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I think Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad. 
And as President of the United States, we're going to restore law and order in our cities. We're going to secure our border. We're going to get this economy moving again. And we're going to make sure that we have men and women on our courts at every level that will stand for the right to life and defend all the God-given liberties enshrined in our Constitution. Anybody that says that we can't be the leader of the free world and solve our problems at home has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. We can do both. And as President of the United States, we will secure our border, we will support our military, we will revive our economy and stand by our values, and we will also lead the world for freedom. So that exchange came really at the tail end of 20 minutes of Tucker advancing his skepticism of American support for Ukraine. Yes. And, right, what's... Uh, and interestingly, Tucker butts in there after, like, Pence was trying to frame it all as a criticism of Biden, that Biden wasn't doing this. And interestingly, like, Tucker is someone who... who, who um, ignores partisan plays like that sometimes. So it was very clear that Pence understood that the audience wasn't on his side on this. And yeah. so he's very, he does a number of things. One, he tries to frame his approach to Ukraine as a rejection of the Biden policy, trying to use polarization and the folks there, their antipathy towards Biden to sort of like win them over to his side. Tucker doesn't bite. Tucker mm -hmm. still attacks, which is interesting. And then you'll notice Pence just gives up and goes back to boilerplate, kind of the stuff that he wanted to be talking about during this interview anyways, but Tucker didn't talk about it. There was a, there was a quote from a, a Pence staffer uh, uh, after this event you know, saying, you know, it was unfortunate, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was unfortunate that in an audience of social conservatives, uh, Christian social conservatives, and we'll talk more about that, uh, that most of the time was taken up with Ukraine in January 6th. And of course, we won't play a January 6th clip, but it's Tucker Carlson, you can only imagine. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so, uh, uh, a, a tough, like, this is supposed to be Pence's base. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking as I was watching it, because at the start of the Ukraine conversation, the way that Tucker actually went in on it was on persecution of Christians in Ukraine, that he had heard that uh, the, the Zelensky government was going after Christians. And well, right. Tucker's very careful to say he, he never mentions... It's Russian Orthodox. Mm -hmm. He says yep. Ukrainians are going after certain sects of Christianity, knowing yes. that the answer is obvious. Yes. If he says he says Christians as if it's a broad term right. that like any Christian is being persecuted, kind of thing. And Pence is very quick to jump in to say like, "Hey, I've talked to. I was just there a couple weeks ago. I talked to a religious leader. They said that nobody's going after them in Kiev." You know, Russian Orthodox, as you know, some have been caught on, you know, supporting the Russian side. 
and what the Russians are doing with killing people, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, and Carlson, this was the most aggressive interview that he had out of the six candidates that I saw. Carlson was out for blood with Pence. And if I were Pence's team, I'd be just so wildly angry about this because yes, what, what, but then also what I would be thinking as well, because this debate is coming up the very first one in August. And honestly, this was the only conversation where it felt like Carlson was running for president and he was debating Mike Pence. That's what it felt like. And so it should feel like debate practice for, for Pence and the Pence team. Cause it certainly was pre presented that way. The conversation. Yeah. Let's, uh, Let's let's listen to a segment from Tim Scott's uh, interview with with Carlson. Party to the murder of hundreds of thousands of Americans. So why is Mexico less of a threat than Russia? Well, two things. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. OK, but yeah, and for, frankly, here's, here's no Americans killed by Russia, yeah. hundreds of thousands killed by Mexico. But Mexico's our ally and Russia's our enemy. How does that work? Well, I'm not going to pretend like I the legislation I have sponsored that I would sign as president of the United States freezes the assets of the Mexican cartels, targets the Mexican cartels and hopefully eliminates the flow of fentanyl. Because I do agree with you that 70,000 Americans losing their lives on an annual basis is an existential threat to America that we can solve. We don't have to choose the good news. Is Would we you can be solve willing that. to say... Melissa, what did you think of that exchange? Yeah, I mean, it, Tucker, one of his other sort of drums that he was beating when he was talking about Ukraine with other candidates besides Tim Scott is Mexico fentanyl, the amount of Americans dying from drug overdoses. And Scott is always an interesting candidate to me in that when he gets into situations like this, he's quite agile, I would say, compared to the other candidates, even if, you know, like, obviously, we've got Trump, the juggernaut, we've got DeSantis sort of has been like the the coming up in second, and then, you know, like Pence and Scott and others are in the mix, but... He often is able to handle gotcha questions like this in very smart ways where he doesn't take a lot of words. He doesn't go into super amounts of nuance because people won't be able to follow that, you know, a ton of nuance. He doesn't contest he, he, the, the, the distraction he, of Tucker Carlson saying, comparing Russia, uh, uh, making war on Ukraine, did you notice he said Mexico has killed hundreds of thousands? Yes. As, as if it was like a, a government policy. Yes, right. yes, yes. And Tucker doesn't sort of parse words. He doesn't go into deep amounts of nuance, but he says, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. He uses an idiom like that that is very understandable, understandable to people where he's trying to say, I think both are important and here's why. And that seems... You know, with me just saying that, that sounds like such a simple thing to do, but it's you don't see other candidates able to be that agile often. They get really caught up in sort of like wherever they feel like, you know, on like the level of polemics where they need to be at. They're constantly like gauging it. Whereas Scott, I think for a lot of people, he will have the chance to sort of help people feel like, ah, he knows what he's talking about. He has a plan. He he's thought about all these things. He's not trying to get a gotcha. He's not trying to politician me. He's very approachable. He seems authentic. It like it gives an authenticity to him that I think is really interesting compared to a lot of the other candidates. Yeah, let's let's listen to uh, the final final clip. We'll play is uh, the other South Carolinian uh, yes. in, in 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 the race. Uh, 
former governor Nikki Haley. Speaking of, of energy in the military, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I mean, I, I don't know. Do I'm, you not, I'm not claiming you did it. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I no, I don't know. I mean, That's what I'm saying. Do you know who did it? Uh, seems pretty obvious it was backed by the Biden administration, I would say. I mean, I think all the evidence suggests that, but I wasn't there. But I, I, I just, I mean, that seems like a huge step. This is the largest industrial sabotage in history, sent more carbon in the atmosphere than any act ever. And, like, there's weirdly no curiosity about who did it. And I think that's strange. What do you well, think there's a lot of things that are strange with the Biden administration. <laughs> this is the first one. I guess what I'm really saying is if you were running against the Biden administration to do something like that and shaft our closest allies in the world, which would be Western Europe, and deprive them of the energy they need to run their manufacturing sector and destroy their economy, which it is in the process of doing, like that's a major sin to have done something like that. You just well, betrayed our allies and no one on the right is accusing the Bidens of what they clearly did. So I don't know why. Well, no one is accusing the, well, the Bidens aren't being accountable on anything. I mean, you look at the cocaine that was just found in there. And that's a whole nother issue. Who, now, whose was that? So let me tell you this. No. Oh, good. Go ahead. No one's watching. Just what do you think? No, it's, this is really important because I have been into that area of the White House. This is and not it's party time. as much as they want to say. And, and don't forget the pot that they just said was found there last year, right? So everything that they're saying is that hundreds of people went through this area. No, I've been to that area. It is the most secure area anywhere because this is where I on the National Security Council with other members of National Security met with the president. You discussed the most secure things. I know the area where the locker is. People don't just go in and out of there. It is either the president, the vice president, cabinet, developed cabinet members, or deputy directors. Nobody else is going in there. There is some staff, but it's immediate to, I couldn't take any staff but my deputy. The president would take his chief of staff, very limited. So for them to say they don't know who this was, don't tell me there's no cameras in there. There are absolutely cameras in there. So I will tell you, I strongly believe this is a cover-up for either some, for either Hunter or someone very close to the president, and they don't want to say who it is. But the problem I have is now your answer is, oh, this isn't a big deal because, by the way, there was marijuana twice last year. Why didn't you do anything about that? Like, who has time to go into the national security skiff, open the locker, and put drugs inside? Like, that's a bigger problem because if you've got somebody doing cocaine, deciding on national security, that's what I'm worried about. Well, and it shows, I would say. I totally agree. <laughs> so... That's definitely the most ridiculous of all the clips. Ingenious, though. Uh-huh. Ingenious, though. She's getting pressed uh, on a matter of foreign policy. Yes. Uh, as... Intelligence. As ambassador to UN, all of these relationships. She has a long history. It's complicated. Tucker's critical of uh, a lot of it. 
and she brings up cocaine and that's the next two minutes of two minutes of the interview obviously wildly irresponsible that she uh as someone who is supposed to be a serious politician is just playing gossip with Tucker Carlson also as you'll remember from previous episodes Melissa wandered uh in that <laughs> side of the White House so you know I mean I know she's very stealthy but uh but maybe that's an indication uh that that more than just Nikki Haley and her deputy are able to to get to uh, that that portion of of the White House. Um, okay, Melissa, we played these clips. Wanted to give folks a sense of like what the family leader was, and I could I could go on about this, but I, I think like the question I just want to like pose. Is like what was the unique contribution of this? Yeah. How is you know the family leader is like the made the major Iowa cattle call event? Bob Vanderplatz advances himself as like the the guy who is you know influencing the Republican primary for Christian values. And you get all the candidates in front of you and Tucker Carlson's the guy who does the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, there's nothing, there's nothing distinct about what was offered. It, you look at the website for, for this and it's, it, it might as well be DeSantis's website, basically. The, the the issues that are listed are Republican platform of the last five minutes. Like it's not even like you know, corporate wokeism is apparently one of the set one of the seven issues that that flow from biblical values. Like if if you if you if you were gonna list seven issues that Biblical values bring to mind corporate wokeism for the family leader is is one of them. Do you know what's mm-hmm. not? Poverty. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's not? I mean, I mean, it, environment, homeless, adoption's not on here. Foster care is not on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, 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 yeah. Uh, again, I, I could, I could go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, sorry, yeah, I was, I was just one. pointing to the last yeah, yeah. Do you know what is? Value. Do you know what? So poverty didn't make the cut, but uh, but picking, picking the, president, the president, picking the president did did make the did make the cut. Um, and so, you know, and th- this is not a new thing. Bob Vanderplatz has been a, a major influential figure in the Republican prime, uh, Republican caucus in Iowa for years and years and years. And everyone catered to him. And everyone, and, and you know, all these candidates came, came to his event. But like, you wonder, again, all the people who acted so surprised, how could, how could my Republican party have nominated someone like Trump? We used to be the party. No. It, 
you used to be the party that ran your Iowa caucus through Bob Vanderplatz. And that was in 2012, that was in 2008, and that was in 2016 and 2020 and now 2024. Yeah, your basic point is that it didn't start with Trump. This has been going on for a didn't while. Start with the, Trump. the curtain has been pulled back, and most of this is about proximity to power and celebrity and all that stuff. Well, yeah, and again, like we played 20 minutes of clips for folks. Did anything in those clips strike you as particularly informed or challenging these candidates drawing on quote unquote to to talk to talk from the website uh biblical values like even even like their version of biblical value like no it just sounded like an episode of fox news so like what's the point like just just have tucker carlson run your caucus and you don't need to have all these you, you don't need to have uh all these organizations that say that they're providing unique value, ensuring Christian values remain at the forefront of discussion regarding American culture. Really? Is, is that what you have to show for it? Okay. All right, Melissa. Uh, I think that's all for this week. We, uh, uh, we will, uh, as we talked about last week's episode, we'll start a ranking of the candidates and also a ranking of pastas <laughs> in August. Yeah, a couple weeks from now. The first debate is just about a month away. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just a few cleanup items. We reported it. Uh, we, we, we shared it in on the Substack at whereweare.substack.com. Uh, Biden got some great economic news this week. Yes. If you dig into the numbers, it's not all positive, but the the leading the leading sort of attack on Biden has been inflation, and for the first time, inflation's down to three. And for the first time since March of 2021, wage growth is exceeding inflation, inflation mm-hmm. which is a big and then the jobs milestone. and then the jobs report added 209,000 last month, which means that jobs the you know unemployment is staying steady. But the job market is cooling, which is exactly what the Fed wants, so that they know that that three that around three percent number that they're going to see, because they're that's like a certain CPI report, um, consumer price inflation report, and they need all consumer price index index. Yeah, sorry, yeah. consumer price index report, and they need all the sort of buckets that go into that to be going down. But this was like the core one. I, it's I, what they do to measure inflation can be quite confusing, but jobs cooling while still not going into like negative numbers or like really small numbers was also huge that goldilocks scenario of avoiding a recession and getting inflation to come down so that the fed can stop raising interest rates and look to see when it can actually start easing interest rates that right there is going to influence 2024 immensely oh yeah for sure and you know there's a long ways until November there 2024. Is. So, a, so lot, a lot can happen. A lot can happen if they are able to navigate the time between now and then, avoid a recession that everyone thought was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it will be quite a 
quite a coup. I mean, you, you could you could run on that the Bidenomics. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Obamacare, where well, here's the thing: when I was Obamacare just say, started, like everyone was like, "What an awful idea!" Look at like where Obamacare is like polling, da da da. But now, you know, uh, like Obamacare, actually, yes, it's divided. You know, people there are certainly like the right doesn't like Obamacare, but uh, but extolling Obamacare became plausible over time and the same might happen to Bidenomics. That's so funny you brought that up because I was about to say that they were so smart to get out ahead of conservative or GOP attacks on them for what, you know, inflation that, you know, really rose for some time. And, you know, grocery prices are still wild. Yes. And part of the problem of inflation is once it goes up, it tends to stay up. It tends to not go back down. 3% inflation is just how much it's accelerating. And it's very hard to explain to people. But calling it Bidenomics, giving it a name, giving it a moniker like that, that, you know, the GOP could have come up with themselves, just like Obamacare was kind of like something to make fun of Obamacare for by owning the name and by giving it sort of a brand was extremely intelligent of them if we do end up by 2024 in a Goldilocks scenario that Bidenomics over time, they're sort of testing the waters now, building the foundation that if it does go well, they've got you know this sort of thing to hang their hat on that when they say Bidenomics, people will know exactly what they mean when they're talking about that. Just like when you say Obamacare, people obviously know exactly what you mean. It was very smart to get out ahead of uh, anybody naming, you know, his approach to economics is, you know, something else. Yeah. Okay, let's close with one more oh audio boy. clip. Oh, no. Prepare to, to be blessed. <laughs> well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And, and, and present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And, and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment that is a reflection of joy because, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> we, have, we have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and, and, and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way too. Eat your heart out, Andy Crouch, our vice president on culture. I, I think I think I think that's uh, I think we could close it out there, Melissa. Yeah, we what don't have you? to explain that one. If we <laughs> thankfully we don't have to try. No, okay. All right. Thank you for listening. This has been Where We Are. Bye. You brought me home pastries, so that's all I needed. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to find this.